Welcome to Soccer Works, a roundtable edition live at the Eastern Shore Premier Cup as we wrap up night two of the uh, festival-style tournament. And I am joined by a coach, a dad, a referee, a math whiz. <laughs> what other titles do we have? Obviously, husband. <laughs> Steve Morisani joins the show. Steve, how's it going, my man? Are you uh, you recovering from your referee coach coaching day? Yes, I am. I'm very happy to be here with you. This is so cool. I love it. So, so tell me... Uh, how did you get into the game? Like, where did you? Where did the genesis of soccer connect it with Steve Morrisani? Where did that begin for you? Uh, Kearney Gym in University of Rhode Island. My dad was working on his PhD, and I was six years old at the time. And uh, football wasn't, you know, gridiron football wasn't going to be something in my foreseeable future because uh, I was I was little and. Too little for baseball. I guess T-ball wasn't really a thing in 1980 in, in Rhode Island. I don't really remember. But we showed up one day at the gym, uh, a bunch of kids and a guy. His name escapes me now that I have to think of it. Ah! And uh, just started playing indoor soccer uh, at the gymnasium at the University of Rhode Island. And that's what got me started. I just fell in love with it. Loved it. And uh, continued playing. Yes. And playing and playing. Yeah. So um, when, when did you transition first from... Did you transition first from player to referee, player to coach? Uh, I was. It was from player to coach. Refereeing uh, only came into the picture because uh, I was a high school girls soccer coach, varsity girls soccer coach, and I had uh, gotten fired for uh, something, uh, yelling, screaming, not being nice, general. Uh, and then uh, I was approached by. Uh, a guy like Mike Montgomery and Ryan Campbell and Jason Kuehl and this, these guys just kept saying, hey, you know, you ought to get into refereeing. And I, and I just was like, no, I'm not going to be a referee. Who wants to be the bad guy? Uh, and I went and did my USSF grade nine. This was in probably 2012. Okay. And um, I was like, yeah, it's all right. You know, I was, I was, I was getting used to it at first, being, being a grade nine, being a – being a referee is very different than being a coach or, or a player. Uh, but after about six or eight months of it, uh, a combination of some success, uh, s- some howlers, I had some bad games, but some success and the cash money on the field was uh, enough to, to hook me. And, uh, and then at that point, I was still playing in a men's league, amateur men's league. I was still coaching at this point with Gerardo at, the, at, the Daf- at then the Daphne strike. Right. And then I picked up refereeing, and I've been doing all three – uh, well, playing not so much anymore, mostly with my kids, uh, but refereeing and, and coaching still since then. I've never, never really looked back. So you've been refereeing for about, what, seven years, yeah. you would say? Yeah. Seven years. And over that time period, have you seen any shifts in, from the wearing the referee hat? Have you seen any shifts in terms of the way players react to referees, the way that you know <laughs> parents react to referees in the last seven years? Uh, yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Uh, the first shift started with me. I, I was uh, uh, just a typical loudmouth, shouty coach when it came to all things referee. And after about three weeks of officiating, um, I realized that referees are humans too, and they will make mistakes. And I had been making a lot of them, especially as a grade nine. And uh, that was the first shift, and and that 
caused me to completely reevaluate how I treated referees. The second shift, uh, I think, came when I joined Gerardo here at the, again, the then the Daphne Strike and now the, the Rangers, with G's just kind of progressive view of, of how we can take the sport of soccer in this area and just and turn it into something. Right. And he was very big on parent education because if, if I think if the parents really understood what was going on on the sidelines, I, I think a lot of the problems that I as a referee would have, that the coaches would have, that the players would have, would would, would go away. I mean, you're a lucky guy. You know the game. You, you live, eat, drink, breathe the game. You have kids that do the same. Right. Not every parent it either grew up around the game or, or was, or is, or is involved in the game or is in love with the game. Like, like you and I are right. And, and that, that shift is coming. And, and this weekend has been actually been really nice. I haven't had a single parent problem. Uh, I've only had one difficulties with one coach, but I've been, he's been difficult for me for years, but, and, and, but you, you learn how to manage men, you learn how to manage people and you, and you deal with it as a referee. And other than that, uh, th- those are probably the, the the biggest shifts. I think is with Gerardo's at least at least for Daphne's his focus on parent education. Make sure the parents understand what's going on because if we can get them on our side, I mean that's that's a lot of the, that's a lot of the problem solved. I think. So you you also coach right? So you're mm-hmm. you're, you're you're wearing the referee hat, but you're also coaching. How has um, and you touched on it a little bit? How has that changed your approach? To coaching, uh, you you mentioned how you treat referees, but how has that changed your coaching in terms of how you're coaching your players? Uh, I make a point at halftime, before the game and at halftime and after the game, to go talk to the parents and say, look, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And and the important thing is to let me do my job. If they hear your voice, they're going to tune me out. And that, that's what children do. They're not going to go key in on the parent's voice. And so if the mom or the dad is telling them to do stuff that – not that it's wrong. It's just the stuff that we want them to do. We have a we, we have a we have a we have a picture of what we want these soccer players to look like for the Rangers. And if the parents aren't telling them the kind of things that they hear from us, they could be possibly be undoing some of the training they're getting. They, they could be telling them to do the wrong thing. Right. You know. And so that that that's been huge uh, for me. Um, I make a point of going over and talking to the parents, and and I can reflect back on the six or seven years I've been with Gerardo. There's only been a couple of times where I've had difficulties with parents where they're they're not happy with what we're doing. They don't like our vision. They don't like our style of play. They don't like what I'm doing. And those most of those times stemmed from a lack of communication on, on my part. And that's not to say that we as a coach owe the parents an explanation. But much like I tell the parents of the kids that I teach, I mean, in a very real way, I work for the parents of the kids that I'm teaching at, at, at the high school. So... You know, keeping them appraised of what's going on maybe helps them feel like they're getting their money's worth or feel like their child's getting a fair shake or, you know, because if there's questions about playing time or why are we passing the ball backwards? I mean, it blows parents away that with my my U9, my O9 girls team, we'll throw the ball back to a to a, to a four or a five and she'll play it back to the keeper and then we'll switch it. And, and they don't understand sometimes why aren't we going forward? And, and I go over at halftime and say, look, the reason why we're throwing it backwards where are all the bad guys? All the bad guys are going forward towards the opponent's goal. So we're going to throw it away from them. And, and what we're doing really is we're, we're really drawing them out of their shell. I wouldn't say this to the girls. We're drawing them out of their shell. We can maybe play a pass in behind, penetrate, and go score. But that's not how I explain it to the girls. 
Uh, I don't know, remember how I explained it to girls, but it works. And then, right. <laughs> but to the parents, I do, I do every once in a while, I'll do a little inside baseball with the parents, especially with the guys that are former athletes, because they like to hear the, X-E-N, the X's and O's stuff. Sure. You know. So this weekend, one of the key changes for the festival-style tournament format that's been implemented has been this kind of rope line. Oh, I love it. Five yard. I love it. Barrier. I love it. From the sideline. As a referee. Love it. How, how, okay, you love it. How, how has it impacted your ability to referee? I don't have to worry about who did touch the ball last because sometimes parents will put their seats, you know, you envision a line and the parents will put their seat literally within, within a half a step of, of the touch line. And then they get upset when the players go to take a throw and step on their feet or, or, or the ball hits them in the face. Or uh, my favorites are the ones that will take really little children and sit about a foot off of the touchline and put those little children in their lap. And then when a ball comes flying in and hit them, it hits the poor baby. Oh, they're freaking out about it. But, right. it, but we as referees have to recognize that on the front end and say, guys, we need you to back up. Sure. Some referees don't want to deal with that. They don't, and they, they pay the price for it. But having that there is one less thing I've got to worry about. I can then focus on making sure that you know, the, the lines are good, the goals are set, they're anchored, you know, making sure the players are properly equipped, making sure the coaches have all their paperwork. You know, I can focus on the stuff I should be. I mean, right behind you is, is I mean, that's massive. That gap between the, the, the five yards, doors, it's huge. But, I mean, in the high school, AHSA high school rules, I don't referee high school anymore, that I think the fence has to be, what, 10 feet? And NCAA, maybe it's going to be 10 feet off the sideline or something like that. Right. You know, and this, but this is also safety for the players because some of these guys, guys and girls, they go flying for the ball. Sure. And then next thing you know, their <laughs> momentum is a thing and it carries them into the, into, uh, out to touch and suddenly they're not in anybody's lap. Uh, it's also good, too. I'll tell you the other thing that's really good about it. A lot harder to hear the parents. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. A lot harder. I, I, I noticed today that the fields seemed Quiet. less. Yeah, they're quieter. Not in a not in a right. Not engaged right. way. There was still conversation. Right. You know, I observed. You know, I'd walk around and I'd hear conversations, and I would um, observe them kind of talking about what's going on, and you know whether they like something, they didn't like something, and you would hear. I mean, you're still going to hear some yeah. parents talking and and all of that, but I, I felt like the volume, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. in noise, but also in quantity yeah. of talking to players, um, was not near as much I agree. as when the players are encroached on yeah. the sideline. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and, you know, and and I, I mentioned this on an earlier uh, episode about the sidelines. When you watch a professional match, even when you when you you know the Premier League, which is probably you know in the English culture mm-hmm. uh, of all European leagues, is probably the closest to the field in terms yes. of the way the stands are yep. in England. It's just part of that culture to kind of bring the first row almost to ground level, or in some cases below ground level, and they're like sitting mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. waist high, right at the at the pitch level. Um, even then, if you were to zoom out, kind of Google Earth style, over that stadium, you would realize that there is a a pretty big gap between yes. the sideline and that wall board, you know, yeah. that you see on TV so often. 
And it may look like on TV that they're right on top mm-hmm. of the field, like what these mm-hmm. parents typically do when when they are unencumbered uh-huh. with basically, you know, the white sidelines going down and there's nothing to mark yep. a seating area. And so they put their chairs like right on the edge of the Literally. line. Literally. And, and, uh, and so the thing that I have noticed today, not only the, the volume and, the, and the, the parents, but also just the space itself. Um, and we, we heard from some players on, a, on um, a previous episode as well about how they enjoyed feeling like they had some room. They had some space to kind of um, enjoy the game, play the game, not have to feel like my mom or dad was sitting on top of me. Yes. Um, one of the one of the players that you were interviewing, her mother was sitting in her car. <laughs> this was my sister, and uh, she doesn't come out to the fields. She likes to stay away, uh, just because she her husband's a coach, and she and she gets exactly what you're talking about. You know, um, it was neat though that you got to talk to those kids because because out of the mouth of babes is is very very it's it's still true. I mean, those kids will tell you right. <clears throat> had excuse me, <coughs> had several games. Uh, couple weekends ago, <coughs> excuse me, where um, I had players coming off the field in tears, players coming off the field downcast because, you know, the coach was dealing with the problem, but the parent wasn't happy and um, really let him have it. Uh, and then for every story I have like that, I've got five or ten stories of kids coming off the field. I mean, that, that smile just lights up, lights up in the sun, you know, bright the sun. They light the field. These kids come because the parents are very supportive. I mean, that, that's, something I, that, that's something I feel like our club does, does well and has, and has matured in its process. I was working with my U-Littles this morning, this afternoon, um, the academy age, the, the U-8s, the U-7s, and um, saw hundreds, hundreds of what you and I from, from a more mature soccer perspective would say were poor, poor tactical decisions, terrible technical skills. But that's not what it's about. It's about those kids feeling like it's okay to try things. And, and if they make a mistake, they just, just, they just found a way that didn't work. And, right. and, and they keep coming back. And the parents today were, were wonderful because we had some, we had some kids. We had, we had a couple of co-ed teams. And it was really neat watching the kids step out of their comfort zones and try some things that when I was a kid, I was not, I was not coached to, to, be, to, to try stuff. I was told what to do. And you stay in your spot and you do this, you do that, you move, we'll tell you what to do, where to go and, and how to do it. And, and I don't think that that's, I mean, that was just my experience, but these kids are getting a much better experience than I got growing up um, because they're free to create, they're free to design, they're, they're free to, to whip up a, a recipe of what they think a soccer move or a combination of moves might look like, and then they go try it. And when it works, the parents have been used to were trained, but now they start to appreciate that stuff and they cheer it. And then the kid suddenly now, you know, he's really getting into it. She's really starting to, uh, to, to, to take people on and beat them and, and, and attack at space and go at goal. And, uh, but it, I think it does come back to the fact that the kids don't feel like they're in a cage because right. the parents aren't on the sidelines. I mean, I don't know how the EPL ARs deal with that because it does look like they're right on top of it. Right. And I just, woo, I could not imagine. Yeah, could I mean, not it, imagine. It, I think it's definitely appears closer than it really is. Yeah. But, you know, you know they're hearing 
Oh, you know they're hearing, yeah. right, a, yes. a bunch of, of comments. Let's just leave it at that yeah. um, as to whether they're doing a good or, or a poor job. So you've been with the club for several years, yes. and um, you've, you've been a part of the transition of being uh, originally in Daphne. It was called Daphne Strike, yep. and now it's kind of – um, been playing under a new name, mm-hmm. Daphne uh, Rangers, Rangers Academy, yep. Yep. and you have the Gulf Coast Rangers, which is uh, um, sits at the U13 age group uh-huh. and above. Uh-huh. That kind of merges all of the local academies into uh, one blended um, yes club. Mm-hmm. You know, for the from the standpoint of development of competition. Um, you know, obviously, you have some high school age players, and you have to also deal with how state rules govern in mm-hmm. terms of how many players can play on certain teams, and so that is also you know helped I think solve some of those um, issues as well. But talk about the transition uh, over the last few years. What have you seen here in the area in terms of soccer? The kids, the parents, you know, as this club has taken on kind of a new identity, new, I would, I would say, more defined pathway for players uh, right. in terms of kind of understanding uh, <laughs> beginning and, and, you know, especially now with a first team on the men's and women's side, yep. um, you know, a, a pathway of development and an aspiration Talk a little bit about that transition over the last few years, what you've seen progress-wise with, with parents and kids. I mean, you're, you're living it, to be fair. I could easily ask you the same thing because you're, you're, actually, you're actually in the trenches dealing with it with, with, with your two boys. Um, I think it's a long time coming, but it's been well worth the wait. Um, this area has always been ripe, I think, for something better than what, than what we had. And what we had wasn't bad. I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean to say that. But I think what we have here – as G was able to kind of put his uh, put his influence in and and, and just kind of build build his vision for what he wanted the club to be, I think I think that the parents are better. The parents a lot easier to deal with now than they were five years ago. Because five years ago, the only parents that were getting into kind of education, and and I say that not because the parents are idiots. I don't mean it like I'm just understanding what we're trying to do. It's not it's not immediately obvious when you see us not really telling our players what to do when the ball's at their feet, you know, or, or you see us, you know, uh, maybe our goalkeeper will make a save and not punt the ball or our players will pass the ball backwards. We'll throw the ball back to a center back. You know, a lot, a lot of teams around that we play against don't do any of that. So I think that as, as G has been able to kind of get his, get his vision for anyone on the club to be, the the level from the parents has gone way up. Very supportive parents, and yeah, you're you're gonna have some that are that are they're going to, they're always going to be unhappy. But but by and large, we've been we've been very fortunate to have uh, really good parents. Parents get on board. Parents that buy into what we're doing. Right. Um. There there's that. I think the players the players come sprinting out to training. I think there's a bunch of coaches around here watching me. I think if you'd ask any of them, they would tell you, yeah, my pra- my my players run out to practice. They're almost always smiling, and then when practice is over, a lot of them they stick around and they keep going. I mean, I mean, your two boys. I mean, you haven't probably haven't seen them all day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my my oldest son uh, has basically come out of the soccer cage here that's up for the festival <laughs> for for food. 
and then he's gone back in the cage. He's he's like a dog coming out of the kennel and being put back up. Um, and I have no problem with that. I mean, look, yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would rather you be doing that than uh, laying around the house uh, any day of the week. And right. and so, but I mean, part of that is is you know kind of what I think you're alluding to, which is the culture. Yes, has kind of begin begun to shift. Yes, and it's beginning um, mature. Yeah, and it's it's definitely growing. Um, what do you think? Um, I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute, put sure. you in the hot seat for a second. What do you think the club can do better um, in in terms of developing the players first? I'll, I've got a, a few of these questions, but that's fine. You know, what do you think the club can do better in terms of developing players? Um, st- starting starting with me, I've got to make sure I'm constantly paying attention to what I'm doing to make sure that the kids that are seven and eight in their formative ages, the six, sevens and eights are getting touches on the ball um, and getting opportunities to try the stuff we want them to do. So, so I, I think what I would like to see, I would like to see uh, more unstructured, unsupervised time for the kids. Um, now the club has been preaching that. I mean, Gerardo has been preaching that now for two years, you know, uh, and again, your boy, I mean, I mean, Jaden over there, I mean, that's, that, that's how I learned the game. I mean, yes, I had coaching, I, I had structure, but my two brothers and I, you know, over, not, not, not in a futsal cage, but just out in the backyard or, or going to the park or pickup games. I, I would like to see the coaches continue to instill this love of the game to where the kids don't have to come here to see soccer because let me see if I can explain what I mean. Growing up, I only really, until my brothers got old enough to start playing soccer with me, I only did soccer at the soccer field with a soccer coach and cleats and shin guards and blah, 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 blah. And and now my kids in the backyard, they'll just go play. My, my 13-year-old and my and my 9-year-old and my, my 10-year-old, they'll get out there and play. And then even the, even the, the 6-year-old and the, and, the, and the 5-year-old will as well. Uh, and... Um, so for the club, just getting the coaches to preach to these kids, man, hey, let's just meet up at the park and play. And then the coach doesn't show up, all the kids do. Suddenly we, we have a soccer game going on, and it's unstructured. No one's coaching them. You know, and hopefully the parents aren't, aren't fussing at them if they, if they do make bad decisions. But because really, I mean, I, I don't know how old you are, but I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. My generation, it was the court of our peers. Right. You want to do something with the fancy with the ball, well, you better well do it because if not, you're going to hear it and you're not going to pass you the ball again. Right. We've lost a little bit of that, I think, because we've become very structured. You know, and I, and, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to say that there's not a place for it, but I just I think that's the one thing that we really could hit a lot harder than we do. And I, and I don't think it's for a lack of trying. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of consistently doing it. Get out there. Hey, guys, it's Saturday. You know, let's go have a game. And then you don't show up. All the kids are there. Well, now the parents are going to hopefully want to play. And, and that would be the one thing I think that I would do first. There's other things maybe down the road that we could look at changing to. Uh, this festival format I thought was great. I think right. it's a tough sell because it's a paradigm shift uh, for what the youth soccer culture is currently you know, it's a it's a pay to play model where if you're not winning, you're not doing something right. But we played Mobile Red Bull over there, and and now we we beat them in air quotes, Greg. Because I think the score was like like you know 
six to five or six to four, whatever it was. But watching those Red Bull players take on my players, uh, they were winning. In that regard, they were winning, and they and they were making mistakes, and they were learning from them. They were finding ways that didn't work. Uh, we had we had two goals scored in that game from from goalkeepers playing lofted passes to players that were running upfield. They played them while they were running. How often do you see little kids play a pass of someone who's running? How often do you see little kids play a pass without right. being told? Right. And this kid just did it. He saw somebody running. Now, maybe he meant to do it, maybe do it, but it doesn't matter. We still celebrate that. He plays a 15, 18-yard lofted pass. The kid collects it somehow and scores. And then, and then it happened again. Going the other way, except this time the lofted pass just bounced off a player into the goal. But we don't care about that. Right, right. place, right time, and 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 it's instilling those kinds of things. Um, but but to answer, but to, like I said, to answer your question, I think that we as coaches have to keep preaching organic, at home, unstructured play, right, know, and 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 getting the kids up to the park. And I th- I think though the issue with that, unfortunately, is just that. There's so much soccer going on. Like my 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 I have my nine year old daughter adores this game. She loves it. Carly Lloyd is actually is reading her biography, her autobiography. I think I think Carly Lloyd wrote it, and um, she played in th- the two or three games today, and had an opportunity to play in another one, and just was like she'd had enough. So I think if they if they go outside tomorrow in the yard and play, but it's wiffle ball. I don't know that it's going to be soccer. So I think that would be the only thing that would be that that could potentially counteract what we're trying to do is that maybe if we're doing too much and and how much is too much. I mean, again, look at your son. Good Lord, how much is too much? Right. I mean, I love that. I love that, though. But he's out there with his brother. And and, and that's that's what we need. That's what we need. That right there. Right. Uh, So but that would be what I would do. So I'm going to ask you this. What do you think the club could do better from the standpoint of connecting and educating with parents? We do well, I think I think part of it is the coaches have to make sure they know what they're talking about. And I don't mean that like we have a great staff. We have a, a very we have a very diverse staff. Right. Uh, with a lot of a lot of diverse background in the game. But I do think that that process is constant. I spoke to the parents before, during, and after every game I coached today. I coached three games, two with the U8s and then one with the U10s. And in all three games, before, at halftime, and after, I spoke to the parents, remember what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what we want. This is this is what we hope to see. And... Um, uh, the, the the coaches have to understand that it is it is a big responsibility and and to be fair the coaches they got to get it right because if you if you, if the parents don't know what's going on nature abhors a vacuum they're going to step in and you know, you, there's a lot of alphas males and females in 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 the parent community for a sport like soccer and right. um, nature abhors a vacuum and if the coaches don't step up step in and fulfill that role take care of that that uh, that mission if you will then the parents are going to do it. And you see it all the time. You see it all the time. It just takes one disgruntled mom or dad, gets a couple of her, but his or her buddies with them, and suddenly now you've got a little bit of dissent. You've got grousing going on. Then you come home on the drive home. The, the kid has to deal with that. And, 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 and a, a nine- or a ten-year-old, do you really want to badmouth an adult in front of a nine- or ten-year-old? I mean, I 
I would say no. I don't think, and I don't say that because I'm a coach and a, and a referee. I say it because as a parent, I don't always agree with the decisions my kids' coaches make, but that's not, that's, that's not, that's not my place. My wife was a coach too, and, and we both know what it feels like to have that, that, that dagger in the back. You know, I mean, that's ultimately what led to me losing my, my, my high school coaching gig. So um, even if we think the coach is wrong, she, my wife and I may talk about it. I mean, we're human. We're going we're gonna to make mistakes too. But in front of the kids, this is what coach wants. This is what we expect. And I, and I think that it's important that the coaches on our staff are preaching to the parents. They're going to hear you before they hear me. So please let me do my job because you may not be telling them what I want them to do. And to be fair, you could even, I've even said it, you're paying me to do this job. Let me do the job. Get your money's worth. I've even said it in that plain term. How has the, how, how's the parents' reaction been to that kind of statement? I got applaud today when I said it because I had a couple of parents. I've got some young, I've got some young kids um, in, these, in, the, in our U8 Academy. We've got some new families that are in our minis program. And this is, this is the fourth season for this cycle. And this is the first time that some of these parents are in there. And I've got a couple of really strong-willed parents. They're great people. And, and it, it just took that conversation be, to go from being, I'm now coaching against him because he's telling Johnny to do stuff that we don't want them doing. Yeah, you're right. If he was 16, he should cross the ball. He's seven. Let him dribble. Let him dribble. He gets one shot to be comfortable with the ball at his feet, and that time is now, I think, in my experience. And, and I think that experience is going to be different from everybody. So, so for people that are listening, I think the experience of a kid in eastern Pennsylvania or eastern New York or, or southern California or, or Texas or, or anywhere really, Midwest, you're going to have a different experience than us. Here, what works for us is make sure our kids are comfortable with the ball, that they're in a 1v1 and they can't go forward, they can dribble out of pressure and, and, and potentially play a pass or dribble their way out of trouble and, and get behind them. You know? So I, would, I, I think and – in in looking at the the game mm-hmm. and looking at the players the to me one of the the areas where i i, I think parents and players need to learn um, is the area of being comfortable on the ball <laughs> before coming to practice. Right. So it makes, you know, it makes it much more difficult if a, a training session, you might get two, you might get three training sessions a week. If you're lucky, with a, yeah. You know, if you're lucky with a coach. If you're having to spend a large majority of your time just trying to get kids comfortable on the ball – it, it would it would kind of be I would equate this to you know going to you know fifth sixth seventh grade and you're still learning A's B's and C's and ones and twos and threes. Wow, you, good you point. can't read. It's a good point. You know you can't do basic math. I'm not saying you got to understand algebra sure. as a third grader, but this idea that that you're nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old and you're not comfortable on the ball yet, um, you know. As parents, I think that's something that, you know, we should take upon ourselves to make sure that our kids are, I'm not, I'm not, and, and when I say comfortable on the ball, I'm not saying that they've got to be, you know, messy-esque, you know, <laughs> special, yeah. Yeah. right? I'm not saying that it's got to be Neymar and I can rip rainbows at will, you know, running down the field, but just a basic 
core competency of playing. And the way that I would, um, you know, kind of explain this as an example is with music. So, I, you know, I, I'm a musician. And so growing up, learning how to play uh, the piano or the guitar, those kind of things, it took, it took time and it took discipline. And, and until you get to a place where you're really comfortable, it's really hard to play with other people. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're so focused on to, where do my, you know, if I'm playing a guitar, where do my fingers go? What's the position to, to play a G chord or a C chord? Or if I'm on the piano, exactly how to, you know, position my hands. And, and so if I don't have that basic core understanding, it's impossible for me to play with other musicians because everything's choppy, everything's broken, the tempo is completely up and down mm-hmm. and sideways. And that is the same thing I see with kids. Yep. You'll have a handful of kids on a team that have that basic core level of mm-hmm. competency. They can connect to one another. You can, you, as a coach, you could say, okay, hey, I want you to go here. I want you to go here. When you get into this situation, get your head up, make sure, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden you're, you're watching and it's like, that, that looks like a real soccer match right there. You know, there's yep. – but you've got players that have a basic level of competency that start to connect to one another. Then you start to interject players who don't have that basic level of competency and the whole team loses rhythm. Yeah. Right? Yes. It's very difficult to keep possession. It's very difficult to execute yep. what what's trying to to be taught in training sessions. And so, you know, when I look at these parents and these players, for me, I think that's an area where it would help coaches and yes. help the club um, if if kids came to practice already knowing their A's, B's, and C's, and ones and twos yep. and threes. Does that make sense to you? Yes. No, it completely does. I think uh, my nine-year-old, uh, very comfortable on the ball, but I think it's a it's a function of two things. Number one being in our minis program and going through that process, I think is what got her started, but it's playing in the backyard against her brother who's three, four years older than her. You sure. can't take a bad touch against him because he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster. And it's not that, again, we're not looking at a messy esque or anything like that. I don't mean to say that, but it's just it watching her comfortable on the ball is, it's a lot of fun. You know, I'm looking over here at, at, at Jack Finlay and one of, one of our, one of our youth players. That's another kid that probably is out doing it on his own, he's intrinsically motivated to want to do well. I, I mean, I, I look at, I look at your two, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, watching them play, particularly, uh, your younger son is Leland, Leland, particularly watching Leland do stuff. It is very apparent. Leland watches the game. Leland has an, at least an older sibling of right. some sort. Uh, and as a, and as a family that is a, is a rich soccer cultural, Cultural to, culture to it because he's doing moves with the ball. He's doing celebrations. He's trying things. He's experimenting. He's, he's like a little mad scientist in there. And more often than not, it works, which only serves to build his confidence. I mean, I think one of the things that makes Jack such a joy to watch, just, just talking about Jack Finlay, uh, is he's an experimenter. And when he was younger and he was in our minis program and when he was little and, 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 and he was, had his first love affair with the game, 
even even when he would leave practice, he would go and try stuff. He'd, he'd in the backyard, out in the fields, walking around with a soccer ball, always. And it's it's a joy to watch him play. He's 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 another little mad scientist with the ball at his feet. He just tries stuff, you know. And you you now, I mean, the the music analogy. I I'm play the I used to play the piano. I've been lessons in years, but that that analogy is very very apt. Uh, uh, this idea that they, I had to practice my scales, you know, my contrary hand, my contrary motion drills. I had to do all that stuff. I had to want to do it. I wanted to be a good piano player because I wanted to, I wanted to do well at uh, at recital. So I, I, I had a, I had a reason to want to go try. And hopefully, you know, these kids see an opportunity to do something well and be good at it. And hopefully. They'll be intrinsically motivated to go out and do exactly that. And hopefully, because in my house, knock on wood, I've, I've almost gotten to the point where I really don't even have to say, go play soccer. If they go outside, a soccer ball or a wiffle ball is going to show up. Um, and when the soccer ball shows up, my heart sings. But I don't ever go outside. I watch from the window because I know that if I go outside, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to muck it up and start coaching and start talking. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I just, I coach, my daughter hears my voice enough. I, if I have to go out there to be peacemaker, I go out there to be peacemaker only if my kids can't handle it. Because I want my kids to be able to resolve, you know, their, their internecine squabbles amongst themselves. I mean, I think, I think society as a whole would do well if we could learn how to manage our, you know, cope and then manage and, and just resolve issues, you know, man to man instead of running to, running to, Right an authority figure to try yeah, to sort everything exactly. Out. And that's not saying my wife, my wife and I have seven kids. We have to step in. Sure. We, we, we don't have the option. And, and my three-year-old, very, 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 very precocious three-year-old, you have to step in and, and, and deal with that. He's just not there yet. But, but the older four, the older five, they're starting to figure it out a little bit. They're starting to, they're starting to deal with each other. I'm very proud of my 13-year-old when he, when he takes a step back and realizes he's dealing with a 9-year-old. Just breathe. Give her, give her a chance. She doesn't like it when you grab her by the arm and spin her 180 degrees and then take the ball from her. Right. She does not like that, but it's hard for him not to do that, I guess, because he's bigger and, and she does get in the way when they're, when they're, when they're doing a little playing 1v1 or whatever. Um, but and that, but uh, you, you, you nailed it. it w- my, of course, my job would be infinitely easier if the kids all could come in there and juggle 100 times, you know, 50 times each foot, alternating steps. But the reality is they don't. So we try to, what we're doing is we're instilling that love of the game. Uh, we're instilling that love of the game at practice. And then what we're hoping we're seeing is they're taking it home. And then they're, and so it's kind of backwards from the, what you would like to see, which is what I would like to see. Because as, ma- as a math instructor, as, as a, I teach computer science as well. I teach Java programming. And um, my job is very easy when the kids all come in knowing how to code. Sure. Uh, when my kids don't know how to code, it, it can be difficult because you're dealing with abstraction, you're dealing with algorithms, you're dealing with a lot of things that are not, not everybody can do that. Or, or I shouldn't say everybody can do that. What I could say, not everybody is good at that. They have to, and programming is something that, yes, we have a lot of naturals, but if you're not intrinsically motivated to want to learn how to code, it's not, it's not fun. Debugging, debugging code is, is, is tedious and it's time consuming. Um, I think, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent point. I think it's an excellent point. I just, I don't know how in this country culturally, you know, everybody wants to look at basketball and, and gridiron football. You know, you, you go you go to, you know, New York City, you got the concrete jungle, you got the basketball courts with the chain 
chain rims and the, the, the chain nets and the rims and there's just about to play and then you know you know where did you know where did Allen Iverson come from where did where Michael Jordan come from Julius Irving you know uh, Jerry West where did these guys come from I mean unsupervised unstructured play would would is, is hopefully what I what the answer is right and, you know um, and do we really see that with soccer this sport is so in my opinion so overcoached it's th- but uh, and what do you do about that I don't I don't know that I have any answers about I would that. say not only is it overcoached in a lot of cases I would say it's overcoached the wrong way yep. in a lot of cases yes um and and you know so it, it you're you're kind of doubly <laughs> you know double the whammy there. Um, not only is it overcoaching, but it's also overcoaching with with bad philosophy, bad teaching. So yep. when when you um, when you come into a a context of um, Rangers and this club and 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 seeing. Um, you know these players in this community. What what do you see going forward? What, what would you like to see um, for the club as it continues to strive and dream and you know have uh, have a future? Wow, that's a ah, geez, that's a tough question. What would I like to see? I want to see continued growth of the club. I, I want to see our numbers continue to increase. I want to I want to see our footprint. I want to see it. Thank you. I want to see our footprint increase, and by that I mean the influence we have over the soccer community at large, both and locally too. But I do think that we we have a way forward that I think would be would be to the net benefit of the kids that we serve in this area. And again, this approach may not work in other places, but it works here. It works for us, and I think our club's proof of it. Um, I would like to see the club expand their footprint. Uh, you know, both in terms of influence, uh, in terms of who they can serve. You know, the, you know, there's 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 a large uh, Hispanic community. I would love to see them get more involved. I mean, I, I love the whole Hispanic tradition and 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 that and that atmosphere. You know, and that's and and it's it's neat to see them get. I mean, they celebrate. They love the flair. They love the excitement. You know, yeah. Does it drive me nuts to see kids of any nationality? You know, dive and 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 flop, and that's not to say the Hispanic kids do it more or less than anybody else. But I I just I love the whole. Those kids are culturally immersed, right? And that's what that's what I want to see for the kids in our area, and I, and our club can be part of the vehicle to make it happen. So how how uh, you know I I, I had a, an earlier podcast where we briefly discussed this uh, Tito and I. Coach Tito Rodriguez uh, about this subject. How does the club? How can the club do better at connecting with some of those communities and in yeah. people that are, you know, on the outside looking in of right. Rangers and right. the U.S. soccer family in general? Right. Well, I think I think some of it is we we are we are we are clannish by by by, by nature. Um, I'm third. I'm third generation Italian, and my grandparents, uh, when they when they emigrated here, 
they immigrated to Ellis Island. They came into New York, and they stayed in the Italian enclaves. My dad grew up in Parkchester in the Bronx, uh, and then they moved out to Long Island out of Merrick. But that, 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 that section of Parkchester, at Arthur Avenue, that whole part of Parkchester was, was at one time was, was, was very Italian. I don't know if it – I haven't been there in years, so I, I can't speak to that. My mom's people were out in Pittsburgh. Um, over in Wexford and, and that uh, Swickley, Swickley Hills, that area. And I, and I want to say at one time that was that, that may have been a bit of an, uh, uh, an Italian enclave. So I think for some of it is as, as, as people emigrate here, I, I think they want to stay with what they know. And I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a negative, uh, but I, they have their vision for what they think the game should look like. And, and, it's, and it could quite possibly differ from what we think it should look like. And I think it's a matter of trying to find common ground. You know, what is, what is, what is the focus? What is the purpose of this soccer club? Because uh, ostensibly it needs to be about these kids and providing them an opportunity, a vehicle, you know, for some it's, it's a, it's a vehicle to college. For some it's a vehicle to, to get excess energy. For some, it's a vehicle to learn life lessons. I think for some, it's 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 a vehicle to get out of the area, you know. But I, 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 th- th- there's a, there's there's common ground. I mean, it's 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 the it's the beautiful game. I mean, it, it's 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 the language everybody speaks. You know, a soccer game played in America is no different than a soccer game played in in South Africa or in the Far East or the Middle East or in, or in Europe. Now, yeah, it may look different. Some may be more polished. Some may be more fancy. Some may be more um, rugged, but it doesn't, it's still the rules, the rules that they're playing with, you know, out in, out in, out in, uh, you know, Australia, just by way of example, are the same as the rules we're playing here. Rules are exactly the same, no different. And I think to outreach to some of those, those areas that I don't know that are underserved, because I will tell you what, these Hispanic communities are great at creating their own and creating their own little leagues, their own little opportunities for their kids. I used to, when I played amateur men's ball, and by amateur men's ball, I'm talking like just pub league, Sunday pub league in Long Island. You know, you had, you had the Long Island, you know, whatever league it was, um, on, on two sets of field over in Lindenhurst. And then on the fields, uh, you know, you know, on the other side of the, of the walkway, I guess you will, you had the Hispanic, uh, league games going on. And, and, you know, so for the for the for the men's teams that were playing out for the Long Island League, it was everybody shows up, everybody plays. You know, you might hang around and crack a beer or two, and then you go home. Well, but those, the the Latino communities would show up and they'd be making empanadas, they'd be making tacos. I mean, the the, the moms, the wives would be cooking, and the smell was amazing. And they'd be cheering. They'd have noisemakers. They'd be blowing horns. It would it it just it. it, 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 it it's what it should be. And I, and it's not like that here. Um, you know, and I don't know what it's like in the Hispanic communities around here because I, I, I unfortunately am dad of seven. I get stuck in a bubble <laughs> and I just don't really, I don't really get to get out like I used to. Um, but I do think there's a way to outreach to that, bring some of what they have to offer to, the, to, 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 to our, set up and we can and we can maybe bring something we have something to offer that they can take to their setup and maybe they'll want to be a part. I, I don't think it's for lack of trying. I mean Tito Tito is, is very vested in in reaching out to the to the Hispanic community and, and getting them involved. I mean his shameless plug for his father's restaurant. It's fantastic by the way. El Mexicano Fairhope 
Green Road, Scenic Nile. Weather. This is the second <laughs> unpaid ad on the podcast for El Mexicano and Fair. Uh, so Senor Rodriguez, see? My, my bill will be in the mail. <laughs> but it's but it's but Roberto has a you know, Roberto has a vested interest in that. I think Ver, Roberto is a first generation Mexican, and and I mean he loves it. He's Atlanta United jersey, you know, and then his Mexico jersey, you know. He's got he's got my son, the son of Italian immigrants. <laughs> Not Italian, the son, the son of the the the, the grand, great grandchild of Italian immigrants wearing a Mexico jersey. <laughs> my heart. But hey, you know what? But it's that culture. If if that's the hook that gets my son involved, at, at the end of the day, it, it that's what we want. I mean, my son Philip could care. I mean, he's a very ambivalent about soccer in many ways. But he sees Coach Tito wearing the Mexico jersey. He likes that Mexico jersey. He loves the color green. All right, go for it. I mean. T- I, I, in a very real, uh, in a very real way, I'm like just what it takes. I, I mean, my son does have a fair, unfair advantage in some ways because he's in a soccer household as well. All of his older siblings play. Right. Uh, his father played. His mother, his, my wife, was a softball, basketball, volleyball player, but she loves it. Right. And and but she's a good example of the kind of outreach and education. Not not to get away from the the, the question that we have to do just in this community here, because she. She, what she knows about the game, she knows from watching me play, the little bit I played when we were first dating, and then watching me coach and watching her kids play. Um, but I, I do think there is, there is, there is a value in, in, in getting, getting integrated in with these Hispanic uh, communities or say, let's say you've got, you know, maybe you've got an Eastern European group. I mean, I don't know how culturally diverse this particular area is. We have a lot of Hispanic people in the area. And, and that, like I said, they have their own unique... And and then within that Hispanic soccer culture, you've got you've got Mexico, you've got Honduras, you've got South America. I mean, it's very right and within that's very polyglot within that. It's, it's 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 a beautiful tapestry to weave. I don't know. They sometimes I think people just seem happy to stay with what they know, and they don't really want to branch out. And that and that could be the case. That could be the case. I I don't, I don't know because I've never really spoken to Tito about it. I just I support one hundred percent what we do. You know, in terms of trying to trying to get them involved, and and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can, hopefully we can. So, <clears throat> you had the first team men's and women's launch last year. This is coming into year two. Yes. And as an academy coach, but also um, someone who has been at the club for a long time, mm-hmm. you have. Seven kids. You are working your way towards a full eleven aside team. I'm assuming. <laughs> no, no, um, no, no. Seven was good. I'm, I'm we assuming, stopped at four. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, when you get to eleven, because it se- seems like next, you know, fall we'll be talking about eight. Um, but but when you when you you have your family, you personally, you're coaching. You're invested in the club. Yes, and your kids are playing in the club. Mm-hmm. You have these first teams that are now sitting on top of the club pyramid um, pathway. So you've got littles all the way up now yep. to a first team, a men's team, semi semi pro. Right, they, uh, the winner I think of our league qualifies for the Lamar Hunt. Do they not? I believe I believe so. Was it a play? And I don't know. So, some something like that. Yeah. Yes. So what? Looking at that, what do you want to see with the first teams of the club coming into year two? 
Uh, I would like to see another Cinderella run like we had because everybody loves a winner. And I think that it's important in an area where soccer is not necessarily the most popular sport. It's important that, that you be successful, all right? Because that's going to build name recognition. It's going to build it's going to build a following. Everyone wants to follow a winner. It, it's just how we're wired. Um, I would like to see more of our youth players get a shot, not because they didn't. I thought that, that what... Gerardo and 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 the the former men's coach Steve Rosorik, uh, who's now actually at our rival, our club, rival club, AFC Mobile, AFC Mobile. No, second. I think it's the second plug today for AFC Mobile. So <laughs> so AFC Mobile guys um, know that you are being talked about. Yeah, uh, but uh, Steve Steve was very was was very progressive in his in his in his approach to to getting players involved and. We had several players, Laz, uh, Sergi, uh, Alex Wickman. Uh, we had a couple others, too. I could name them. You didn't ask me. I could tell you. Uh, but, he, but he was willing to give them a shot because the idea is, you know, maybe my nine-year-old who loves the game will want to keep playing, and maybe she'll see, um, uh, you know, she'll see her 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 coaches if, if – if any of them are playing on the women's team, I, I don't know if they are, but that'd be inspiring for her. I mean, my son was a ball boy, and getting to watch some some coaches that he has worked with at camps and such, he was loving. He didn't want to miss a game. Right. He, he wanted me to get him a a 100 club membership so he could stand over there and rub elbows with all the people that were legally allowed to drink beer and he's only 12. But he didn't care about that. He just wanted to be there. He just wanted right. to be there. He loved it. He well, didn't want to miss a game. That's that's part of actually building a club culture, a yep. true um, soccer culture within a club in that you are not just creating pathways, but you're creating connections yes, with the it. players. That's it. And that's what... I, and again, not 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 to toot his horn too much, but that's I think ultimately where 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 Gerardo's true his true worth is that he recognizes those opportunities to say we can build a conduit, we can build a path. Um, I, I you know I, I rib him, I give him a hard time, I I I refer to him affectionately as a professional dreamer, but I I will tell you. It's from these something he said to me in one of our hundreds of hundreds of conversations we had about, about dreaming big. So it costs nothing. It, res, it resonates with me. I tell my students that, in, in the, in, particularly in the computer science class, dream big here. It costs nothing. Go 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 develop that program that you think you want. I have a kid right now working on a first person role playing, you know, kind of a choose your own adventure. One of those throwback books from mm-hmm. the a, a choose your own adventure program, and, and it's and it's an RPG. Um, and he's and he's writing it, and he was very intimidated at the thought of doing it, but yeah, go for it. And I, but but to, to, to back to your point, it's it's guys like Gerardo that are willing to take risks. They're willing to think outside the box. They're willing to be unconventional. This was very unconventional, right? A, a festival format in 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 the beginning of the travel season where it's about we got to score we got to get you know we got to get trophies we got to get gold differential and 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 here we are now of course the kids are keeping score but you know what I, I I'm not interested in legislating their behavior I let the kids be kids I think the important thing I think the festival format was honestly was more for the coaches and the parents um, but 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 to your point I, I think G's vision about what he wants. You know, be be the change you want to be. 
if 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 I had to put an epitaph, you know, on on his on his on his you know, on his wall or whatever, if you maybe epitaph's not a good choice. I think about you know if I had to put if I had to if you were to play that game where that's you a s- really big tombstone if it's yeah. a, if it's a giant yeah. wall of granite. Yes, but I mean the, the I think but if you were to we were to play that old game where you would say a word like the twenty four thousand dollar pyramid, that that's what I would say. I mean it's it's. Finding ways to make things happen and then making making things a reality. So, would you say with with G standing not far away, he can he's within an earshot of this conversation? Would you say that you are dreaming big by by pumping G up so large that he will <laughs> double your pay scale no. as a coach? No, going forward, he's trying to ignore yes. uh, this part of the conversation, yes. but. For, um, <laughs> for every time, for every time that he I mean, does, you do have seven kids yes. <laughs> and and working on a, an eleven side no, squad. I'm not um, <laughs> you know, so cool. I, I know that that <laughs> with that that much ambition, you're dreaming big there. And uh, you know, <laughs> honey, if you're listening, he's he's. I'm not. We're not. Eleven, seven was good. I agree with you about seven. So seven aside's good. But you actually play nine aside, right? You, yes, you and your wife can my help wife out and there. I will play. My wife yeah, and so I will you play, play nine aside. That's close enough, right? I mean, that you know, you can you, you're going to have an, enough family members to cover the field. And, and look, between your your sister's kids, I'm sure you can yeah, kind of work, work 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 your way into yeah. a Morrisani. Yeah, uh, all five first played. All yeah. five first played as well. There you you got to even got subs on a bench. Well, my little brother, both of my little brothers have four kids each and they all play and then my little sister has so three. we've gone from one team <laughs> to a league the Morasani <laughs> soccer league is coming uh, to a city near you at some point in the future cat nachos the way to be cat nachos the way to be lock and bolt lock and bolt there you go <laughs> so as we wrap this thing up and and kind of wind down this episode and we're we've closed down the second night of mm-hmm. the festival um, what do you as you know, as a coach, as a parent, as a husband, as a referee, what do you want to see this community um, become going forward in, in in relation to soccer? That's a tough question. Uh, there's lots of things I'd like to see. I think the big thing I'd like to see is is them just embrace it and be supportive of what we're trying to do here. Uh, I think that if we can, if 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 we can if we can create. Interest, support, we can, uh, we'll be able to move mountains. I really, I really do. I think, we, I think Village Park will be just a start. Village Park would just be a start, which yeah. is, which is for those listening, um, is a piece of property adjacent to the city soccer complex where this club yep. does its training, and um, the club has purchased the the ten acres and is. Doing some innovative things with uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the property and is continuing to dream big, as you alluded yep. to a minute ago, with some facilities and you know some new different opportunities for players uh, from the first team on down. Yep. And um, and I think you know if if the um, you know progress continues to happen, I do think that can have a very uh, positive impact on yep. families. Uh, kids, coaches, um, as well as referees. So, look, Steve, thanks for coming on the You're show. Welcome. Thanks for, uh, for 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 chatting and and uh, 
Anytime. Winding down after a full day of coaching yeah. and refereeing and icing after yeah. after the refereeing. You, you know it's getting bad when you're in your mid-40s and you're icing down after you have finished refereeing for the day. But kudos to you. You have sat in the hot seat. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Anytime. I love what you do. Keep it good work. Love it. It goes electric wavy when I turn it on. Off of my city.